Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to continue this series in Luke's Gospel that we're spending the whole year on this year. Today, the passage that Sophia just read for us, Luke 18, 9 to 27. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you? We're going to read through it again, think about what it means and what it means for us as people this side of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Let's ask God for his help now. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for giving us your word. Please help us now to understand what it says and help us to respond appropriately. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I used to love wrestling with my children. When they were little, I could hold them down. In fact, I could even hold them down with one hand and tickle them with the other hand. I could roll around with them. Great fun, for me at least. But since then, two things have happened. Uh, Number one, they've got big and strong. And number two, I've got old and frail. Nowadays, I only need to breathe the wrong way, and somehow I put my back out. Nowadays, I can wake up in the morning, and somehow I pulled a muscle the night before in my sleep. I'm not one to easily admit defeat. I kept on wrestling with my kids till they were well into their teens. But there came a point where I had to say, I can't do this. I can't do it. I had to despair of being able to beat my children in a wrestle. Lots of things like that in life, aren't there? Things that we cannot do. They are impossible for us. As much as I might want to be, I will never be a rock star. Apparently you have to have talent. I'm never going to play rugby for Australia. And I can't win a wrestle with my children anymore. Some things are impossible. Well, here in our studies in Luke's Gospel today, Jesus tells us about something else that is impossible. Something we cannot do no matter how hard we try. Now, there are three scenes in this section of Luke, three scenes. Let's uh, have a look together at scene number one. Scene number one, Jesus is telling a parable. And notice who he's telling this parable to. He's telling it to people who literally trust in themselves that they are righteous. Get what they're saying? They think they're okay with God on their own. They think they're right with God because of what they do or what they have done. And what they do, they compare themselves to other people. And they go, well, compared to that person, I'm actually okay, so hopefully I'll be okay with God. When this parable, two men go to the Jewish temple, and you could not get two more different men than these. One of them from a human perspective at least, he is a pinnacle of righteousness. He's a Pharisee, a a, a religious leader. If he were around today, he would be one of the elders of the church, he'd be president of the Rotary Club, he'd be highly regarded in his profession, he'd be a a model of a family man, he'd be a, a pillar of the church. He's the sort of person everyone respects, looks up to, respects as a man of God. The other man is the sort of person that everyone hates. He's a a tax collector. Even today, people aren't terribly keen on paying their taxes. But back in those days, you didn't pay taxes to a nice government who did lots of things for you. You had to pay taxes to the nation that had conquered you, to the Roman Empire. The Jews had to pay taxes to the Roman Empire, and the Romans extorted enormous amounts of tax from the Jewish people. But but the tax collectors, they weren't Romans. 
the tax collectors were Jewish people who had betrayed their own people and worked for the Romans in collecting the taxes from the Jews. Worse than that, a lot of them became very rich. They became rich by collecting more tax than they were supposed to, giving some of it to Rome and keeping the rest of it for themselves. So they had betrayed their own people to the Roman oppressors for their own benefit. These guys were scum of the earth. Modern equivalent, I don't know, maybe a paedophile or something like that. Everybody thinks they're disgusting. Both men come to the temple. The Rotary Club president and the paedophile. And they pray very different prayers. The Pharisee, he's confident in his own righteousness. And so he doesn't ask God to make him righteous, to forgive him, to justify him. No, no, he thanks God for the righteousness that he's got in himself. And he thanks God that he's better than that slime bucket, the tax collector. But the tax collector, he realises that before God he is hopeless, unrighteous, no better than anyone else, unable to save himself. And when he comes to the temple, he asks God for mercy. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, if you were there at the temple that day, who would you think was the one who went home right with God. The righteous Rotary Club president probably popped $100 in the plate or the slimy pedophile who crept in the back, hoped no one would look at him and then crept out again before the last hymn. Jesus says only one of the men went home that day right with God and it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. And why? Because you cannot justify yourself. It is a dreadful mistake to be confident in your own righteousness. You are not righteous enough. It is impossible for you to justify yourself. The only way to be justified before God is if he has mercy on you, if he mercifully forgives you and justifies you. Jesus' message is this. You must not take confidence in your own righteousness. Don't compare yourself to other people and think, well, I'm, okay with, I'm better than them, so I should be okay with God. You are not. You cannot make yourself right with God. It is impossible. Instead, you need to humble yourself before God and ask for his mercy. Verse 14, 
I tell you, says Jesus, that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves, put themselves up, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, that was scene one, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Second scene now, second scene, people are bringing little babies to Jesus. Jesus' disciples tell them to go away, but Jesus rebukes them. He accepts the little children and he says something vitally important. He says, you have to be like a little baby to get into God's kingdom. If you won't receive the kingdom of God like a little baby, you won't be in it at all. Verse 15, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What do you think Jesus means? What does it mean that only people like little babies can get into heaven? I'm going to give you a little time to think about it, but not break up into groups today because I I want you to get this in your own mind. I'm just going to give you 20 seconds of silence to think about this, but I want you to actually do it, okay? And be brave. Come to a conclusion in your own mind. The question is this. What does Jesus mean when he says you have to receive the kingdom of God like a little baby? What is it about babies that makes them suitable for heaven? Get the question? Okay, be brave. Actually come to an answer in your own mind. 20 seconds of silence. What is it about babies that makes them suitable for heaven? 20 seconds. Let's go. Got an answer in your mind? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? It's a bit tricky. What does Jesus mean? That only little people like little babies can get into heaven. Well, some people think it means that you have to be innocent like a little baby or pure like a little baby. Uh, Other people say you have to have faith. Be be trusting like a little baby. I suspect it's only people who don't have kids who think those things, or maybe people who had very different kids to my kids. Um, Maybe that was your kids. My kids were neither innocent nor trusting. Uh, I think Jesus means something slightly different. And to show you what he means, I'm going to do an experiment. Now, in order to do this experiment, I need to borrow a baby. Um, (laughs) Is there a parent who doesn't mind donating their baby for for theological experiments here today? Thank you, Cheryl. That's very kind of you. There we go. (laughs) Here we go. This is Harrison. This is Harrison. Harrison, this is everyone. Everyone, this is Harrison. Okay. Harrison, um, I'm feeling a bit warm in here with all these people. I'm wondering, could you just pop over to the air conditioning there for me? Just turn it down by one degree. Okay, well, maybe I'm the only one feeling warm here. Perhaps just for me, can you pop out to the kitchen there, grab me a cup of water and bring, bring it back because I'm feeling quite warm. Okay, well, hop down and go back to your mum. There you go. <laughs> Cheryl is magnificent. He's very beautiful, but he's completely useless. <laughs> um, <laughs> he can't do anything. Um, there you go. He's very beautiful, but can you see he's totally helpless? Can't do anything. Friends, I think that's what Jesus means here. 
When it comes to getting into God's kingdom, we are like little babies. We are useless, helpless. We cannot do it ourselves. It's impossible. We need someone to do it for us. We need someone to get us into God's kingdom. It's impossible for us. Do you see the point? People who try to get themselves into God's kingdom will fail. People who rely on themselves to get into heaven will not get them, get there. God's kingdom is only for people who realise they cannot fix up their relationship with God themselves, for people who realise they're as helpless as little babies, for people who, well, for people like the tax collector, for people who will despair of saving themselves and ask God for mercy. Okay, there's two scenes. Remember the first one? The first one was the Pharisee and the tax collector. Second scene is the little babies. Brings us to the third scene. Next scene, we meet a ruler of the Jewish people. This guy is a pinnacle of Jewish society. He is godly, he is upright, he is law abiding. And we're going to see in a moment that God has blessed him in the promised land with wealth. Exactly what God promised to do for his faithful people. He's blessed him with wealth in the promised land. Here is a godly, faithful Israelite, blessed by God. From a religious perspective, if anyone could be confident of their own righteousness, it would be this bloke. If anyone could earn eternal life for himself, it would be this bloke. If anyone could look around, compare himself to you and me and go, I'm better, it's this bloke. But still he's worried that something might be missing. So he comes to Jesus and he asks what he has to do to get eternal life for himself. Verse 18, we're in now, verse 18, scene 3, verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus warns him that no one is good. I don't think Jesus is saying that he's not good here. That's not the point. He's warning him, getting him to think twice before he puts confidence in his own righteousness. And then Jesus says, what do you have to do? You have to keep God's law. You want eternal life? You need to obey the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And this man reckons he's done it. Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments? You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with him about it. <clears throat> you may remember, um, remember the last bloke in Luke's Gospel a few weeks ago who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember they talked about loving God and loving your neighbour and then he said, well, who is my neighbour? Do you remember Jesus' response, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the big idea was, there is no way you could possibly love your neighbour. If you understood what it really means, there's no possible way you could justify yourself through law. If you look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you think you haven't committed murder? Well, have you been angry, you've committed murder. You think you haven't committed adultery? You've looked lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery. Jesus could have argued the point, but he doesn't argue the point. Why doesn't he argue the point? Because this is actually a very good man. Luke wants us to see him as a fine example of a righteous Jew. But Jesus doesn't argue with him. Instead, what Jesus does, he calls on him to do what he's been telling everyone else to do. Leave everything, deny yourself, pick up your cross 
and follow Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem that we've been on since chapter 9, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. But it's too much to ask. The ruler won't do it. He won't give up the money that God has blessed him with in the promised land in order to follow Jesus. Verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus then points out how difficult it is. He says, it's very difficult for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, it's impossible. It's like squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. Verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I should just clarify what Jesus is saying here. I mean, there are some people uh, last century who talked about a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and it's all proved to be nonsense. Um, let, let me explain to you what Jesus is saying with another quick demonstration. Just... There's no confusion about this. <laughs> there it is. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Um, this here, for those of you who haven't been to the zoo, is a camel. It's actually, if you've been to the zoo, you'll, you'll notice this is actually quite a small example of a camel. A real one's much bigger than this. And this, I'm sorry, I couldn't get one big enough for you to see as a needle. It's actually a very big needle. Okay? Um, so, getting a rich man into the kingdom of heaven is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. <laughs> How are we going to do it? Upside down. Sideways, forward. I asked for suggestions this morning. Someone said, if you put the camel in a blender. Um, <laughs> I don't think Jesus had that in mind. Okay? I, think, I, think the point is, I think the point is it's impossible, isn't it? You can't do it. But the thing is this, when you and I hear that, when you and I hear, it's acupuncture, don't stress about the needle in the, in the, uh, in the camel there. Um, when you and I hear, oh, the rich, the rich can't get into, into heaven, we go, oh, that's because they're rich, they're greedy and they're corrupt and so on, okay? Lucky, well, hopefully, I'm not that rich and, and I should be okay. But, but that's not the way the people who were there understood what Jesus said. Those who are listening, they know that riches for a Jew in God's promised land is not a sign that they're greedy and corrupt. Riches for a Jew, like this righteous ruler in, in the promised land, is a sign of God's blessing on him. This guy is meant to be an example of the very best kind of person. And so... When the people who were there hear Jesus say it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven, they don't go, well, that's because he's a corrupt, greedy, rich guy. No, they go, well, if he can't get in, I can't get in. If he can't get in, no one can get in. If this man can't do it, no one can. Verse 26, those who, asked this, those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? And notice carefully how Jesus responds. Jesus says, it's impossible. It's impossible for man. No one, not you, not me, no one can get themselves into heaven. 
Verse 27, Jesus replied, What is impossible with man? Do you see what he's saying before we go on? Same point as with the Pharisee and the tax collector again, isn't it? Same point as with the helpless babies again. There is nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. It is beyond our reach. We're not good enough. Getting yourself into heaven is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It's like asking a baby to make you a cup of tea. It's impossible. But what Jesus says here is also brilliant news, the greatest news ever. It's not possible for people to get themselves into heaven, but it is possible for God. Verse 27 again, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I was having this very conversation with a man the other day. He came to me and he said, I can't understand how it is that Christians are so arrogant that they think they're going to heaven and, and Buddhists and Hindus and Jews and everyone else aren't going to heaven. I said, well, let's just look at what the Bible says. And we looked at what the Bible says about how everyone is sinful, about how no one can get to heaven. And he just, his eyes kind of opened because he obviously has thought that he's good enough and then when he saw from Scripture that no one is good enough, he went, well, then there's no way for anyone to get to heaven. That's actually, that's actually the start of wisdom with this, isn't it? To realise it's impossible. But Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God. And as he goes on to talk about, and we'll look at this next week, it's all about this journey that Jesus is on. Let me give you a quick, quick preview. Uh, verse 31 Verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day, he'll rise again. Friends, that's how God made the impossible possible. That's how God has made a way for people to have eternal life. He's made a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place, taking our sin so that we can be washed clean before God. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of God and he can bring us with him into the new heaven and earth. Now when we trust in Jesus, we can have eternal life, but not because of anything we can do. We can have eternal life only as a free gift from God through Jesus. Okay, well, can you see what's here then in our section in Luke's Gospel today? Three scenes, you remember the three scenes? Firstly, the, you remember the Pharisee and the tax collector. Second scene was the little babies. Third scene then, the rich ruler. So scene one, the Pharisee is confident in his own righteousness. The tax collector asks for mercy, despairs of his own righteousness. It's the tax collector who goes home justified. Second scene, people bringing babies. Jesus says, we're as helpless as babies when it comes to getting into God's kingdom. And then scene three, the wealthy Jewish ruler. He wants to know what he can do to inherit eternal life. But Jesus makes it clear again, there's nothing anyone can do. It's impossible for man, but it's possible for God. God has made it possible through Jesus' own life, death and resurrection. All right, well, let's think just very briefly about applying this passage to ourselves. The application is very simple, I think, isn't it? Um, what we need to do is this. We need to give up. Give up trying to be good enough for heaven. 
despair of being able to do anything to inherit eternal life. Stop thinking we're good enough. We can't earn our way in. We can't buy our way in. We can't obey our way in. We can't religion our way in. We need to admit to God, I can't do it. It's impossible. Like me wrestling with my children or being a rock star or a wallaby, give up, admit defeat. Instead, we need to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need to ask God to give us eternal life. We need to thank God for giving Jesus to live and die and rise again from the dead for us. And we need to ask God, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, to mercifully forgive us, to wash us clean, to accept us into eternal life. Have you ever done that? Have you done it? I mean, I know we do it. We do it every single time we meet together. It's the first thing we do pretty much after we sing. We admit to God that we're sinners and we ask him to forgive us. We, we do it pretty much every service. But have you ever personally, genuinely, in your own heart, before God, said to him, God, I can't do it can't get myself into heaven please give me a place in heaven through Jesus have you done it? I hope you have because Jesus says that's the only way Jesus says if you won't receive the kingdom of God like that you will never enter it but he also says that what's impossible for us is possible with God Jesus can do it and so if you have asked you can be confident Jesus has done everything it takes to make you right with God and to give you eternal life. Friends, Jesus has done the impossible. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for his perfect life, never sinning against you. We thank you for his death on the cross where he took our place, swapped places with us and bore our sin and gives us his righteousness. And we thank you that Jesus is alive again and reigning at your right hand and will soon return to bring those who trust in him to be with you forever. Father, do please help us to despair of our own righteousness and to rely only on Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.